0: Hi everybody, welcome to the Weird World Podcast Hi. We're going to talk about something weird today, maybe uh, A mystery Well, my name's Carrie
1: Oh, I'm Jack I am Dean
0: And Dean is going to tell us something maybe weird, definitely mysterious yes. It's fun
2: Yeah, not it's it's actually one of the most famous cases in the planet Earth it is. In the planet Earth? In the planet Earth. This mostly takes place inside the, the <laughs> Now I'm going to have to change everything and set it to be inside the Earth during this whole thing just to <laughs> not have misspoken. Dan Cooper. He was absolutely unremarkable. Oh. He was maybe in his late 30s, maybe early 40s. He was white, had brown hair, a little bit thinning at the top. He was dressed in a dark suit. White shirt, dark tie, typical little businessman. In fact, the tie was a clip-on tie. Do
0: so we it have would, it would time
2: and place? We will.
0: For the, okay.
2: The only thing unusual about Dan Cooper was that he wore dark sunglasses inside of an airplane throughout the, his entire trip. Yeah, that's suspicious as hell. A little bit, a little bit. We know Dan Cooper's name. Because that is what he called himself at the Northwest Orient Airlines desk at Portland International Airport on November 24th, 1971.
0: I was going to say, what's Northwest Orient Airlines?
2: It would later become Northwest, which of course is now part of Delta. Delta, But at the time it was called Northwest Orient. Really? Flew up and down the Pacific Coast. I was was international, but it was based in Seattle, I believe, wasn't it? I'm not sure to be honest with you.
0: Well, Northwest makes sense. Yes, probably, huh?
2: But Northwest Airlines, wouldn't later that be based in Minneapolis? Yeah. I'm confused. And
0: now Atlanta.
2: Yes. So this is Thanksgiving Day, by the way. So again, November 24th, 1971. 1971. Start your timeline. No, all I have to do is remember I was five years old.
0: Okay. I was negative. Oop, not <laughs> doing that math.
2: Cooper bought a ticket for flight 305. It was a Boeing 727-100. Whatever that means. Yeah. It's a type of plane. I figured that. Type of commercial jet. It preceded jet.
0: the 737 and then the 747.
2: And then the 757. What are we up to now? I have no idea. <laughs> I think 787. When did they get to the eight? So they're going to redo it? I don't know I don't, how it works. Ask well, Apple.
0: What's the one that they had to decommission
2: because of the f- crashes? Mm, I don't. 787, maybe? I don't. I know. Didn't, I'm not sure.
0: I don't know what that was.
2: This trip from Portland to Seattle would only take about 30 minutes, by the way. Dan Cooper paid cash and walked right onto the tarmac just outside the terminal and then up the aft stairway onto the plane. He never showed anyone any ID. He never went through x-ray. He never waited in a security line.
0: 1971.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Your name was Dan Cooper, if you said so. And you did not have to take off your jacket, let alone your shoes. You didn't have to pour out your drink at the security gate because you forgot and you bought it, you know. Yeah. You have to pour out your, your cappuccino, your frappuccino, and by the way, you can carry bottles of shampoo that were big enough to have more than what, two showers yeah. maximum. He also did not have to show anyone what was inside the black attache case that was apparently his only luggage.
1: Now all of this is just screaming, hey, look at me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. If you're going from then, no.
0: Seattle to Portland, yeah. I mean, that Business could be trip. a quick a little day, day trip. trip. Yeah.
2: Although this is at 2.50 p.m., but still, it, w- it didn't raise yeah. uh, too much anyone's uh-uh. eyebrows really at all. So he took his middle seat, in the last row is on the left, if you're facing the plane. He ordered a bourbon and soda before the plane took off, because that's what you did. Yep and he set the attaché case on his lap and took a deep breath because the world was about to change. This was the innocent days of 1971. The world was a different place, as we've established. The world was not yet wary of Dan Coopers or Osama bin Laden's or fanatics with explosives hidden in the soles of their shoes yet. And, of course, the nondescript man's name was not really Dan Cooper. He invented that, obviously. And then later, by the way, a reporter would screw that up and call him DB Cooper.
1: Boom, boom. And
2: that name still lives on now, what, decades later, as the yeah. only person in American history to ever hijack an airplane, get his ransom money, escape the authorities, and never to this day be caught. Is huh. it? No one's done it before, The one and only, no one's huh? In sense. Really? And that is DB Cooper. Honestly, work. That's cool. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to You gonna know, lie. we'll get to it much later, but. It, he was actually this is going to be a multi part episode. By the way, I should have said that up front. Here, I don't think we get to it here in, in, in episode one, but he was really thought of as kind of almost a Robin Hood like hero heroic figure by a lot of folks. Yeah. There's a certain kind of a sign of the times. We'll get that to we'll get to yeah. that later, but and uh, maybe now too. Probably now, very much so. If he, if someone did it again, if someone did it like he did it, yeah. So flight three hundred five from Portland, to Seattle was an afternoon flight. It was scheduled to leave at 2.50 p.m. for just a little quick half hour hop north. Had 35 passengers in its 106 seats. So, oh. it was, what, about third fall or so? So, stretch out. He had no one sitting to his left or right, by the way. Work. That's the best flight in yeah. his row. That's the way he hence the middle seat. So, bourbon in hand, Cooper waits for flight attendant Flourish Schaffner to pass by as she heads for the two jump seats at the back of the plane just before takeoff. That's where she and another flight attendant would sit during takeoff, right? They were kind of built into the aft exit, which is also a stairway in the very back of the plane. So she and a young flight attendant, a a real newbie named Tina Mucklow, they took both those those two jump (laughs) seats on the way uh, during takeoff. Cooper, though, he caught Shaft's attention and he handed her a note as she walked by. Shaftner took the note and she shat, sat down on the no, jump seat. She sat down. She did not. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so Shaftner took the note. She sat down on the jump seat. She stuffed it in a pocket and ignored it. <laughs> she probably, probably thought it was the
0: guy giving her his number.
2: This was not only yeah. a different time in the sense of security measures, but this was a very different, uglier time in another way. In the very, very early days of commercial flights, airlines were kind of sold luxury, right? Flying was mainly for the affluent and rich people, as we know, have to be pampered. And the airlines promised exactly that. And they you know, they had wine, they had crystal, they had silver tableware, things like that. They really did. But now in the 1960s, especially the latter part, well, I guess throughout the 1960s and 1970s, airlines also sold sex appeal. So sure, the pilots were regularly handsome and they had those very cool uniforms. That was great for the ladies. But for... Most, uh, especially business drivers, were mostly men. So far more important to this kind of sex appeal appeal was, were the flight attendants. Yeah. And by the way, they're still called stewardesses. stewardesses. Yeah. At the time. They were sold really for their sexiness. Flight attendants had to be slim, had to be pretty. If they got pregnant, they had to quit.
0: Oh, they weren't allowed to be married.
2: Yeah, and some, that was de- dependent on the airline. But yeah. some airlines wouldn't even let them marry.
0: They oh. also literally had weight limits too. Yeah, God, you had to be under a certain weight. Yep.
1: So That's be, given still how Emirates does it, to be honest. Yeah, really? probably. probably. Yes. Yeah, just a little
2: more. I'm calling you out, Emirates. Okay, well, anybody that has uh, Jennifer Aniston cluelessly tell us how she can't believe there's no showers on everybody else's airplane. Right, deserves to have bad things said about them. So. With that, this kind of sex appeal on sale, flooded tenants were just constantly getting hit on. So, Florence Schaffner figured that's exactly what happened. She saw this guy in the in the suit, the back of a plane. He handed her no. It's just one of those annoyances that came with the job. She was sure she figured I have a phone number on it, and you know, maybe even invitation invitation to go to his hotel, have yeah, dinner mm-hmm. and dancing or whatever. It was, so it was something for her. It's something just to be brushed off which is exactly what she did. You just ignore it, pretend it didn't happen. Hopefully, they got the message. Only, this was not something to be brushed off. <laughs> Cooper, now wearing dark sunglasses, that again, he would not, not ever again take off for the duration of the flight, he saw what Schaffner had done with his little missive. So he leaned back toward her. Again, he's in the back row, right? And she's in the jump seat. It's just that kind of space between. I imagine there's a, a, a toilet there, too. But he just kind of leans back toward her, and he says in kind of a hushed tone, Quote, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. Settle. Yeah, what he did, it. he whispered a little bit. Word you
0: better to, not say on an airplane today. Oh, oh,
2: God, no. Unless you have a bomb, then I suppose even you Even then? Have to, probably not yeah. even then. So that last part got her attention. So Schaffner retrieved the note. She read it. She undoubtedly read it again. <laughs> and then she reached for the intercom to alert the flight crew. But it was too late. They were already taking off. They were just lifting off when she realized, "Okay, we can't abort the flight." Yeah, you know, you can't explain it fast enough. So it was too late. They'll have to do it the old-fashioned way and get hijacked. Yeah. So ex- Tina the Mucklow, old-fashioned way. <laughs> actually, the new-fashioned way. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. How, has this happened yeah. a lot before now? Not, not, not that much, and not this way. Yeah. Tina Mucklow, Scary. she saw Schaffner suddenly unbuckle herself and walk those few feet to sit next to the man in that last row. Oh. It was right after the plane took off. And she thinks, that's weird. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. I've only been here like six months, but I know you're not supposed to do that. So Schaffner, as she turned around t- back toward Tina, and she motioned toward the ground, she had oh. purposely dropped the note. Oh. So she took that note off. She purposely dropped it on the ground. And she just gets her attention, and it kind of motions to the ground. Tina understands picks up the note real quick, goes back in her seat and start, and reads it. The note was written in felt tip ink in all caps, which by the way, this is a time before that meant shouting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was
2: just very neatly printed. Undoubtedly, it was to disguise the yes, handwriting yeah. in case yeah. Cooper could never uh, get that note back. As it happened though, he was, he asked for it back once he was in communication with the flight attendants and he got it back. So, We don't know exactly what was on that note, and we Uh don't have it any longer. He took it with him. But Schaffner remembered the key parts. She said that uh, this, said something about he had a bomb in his case. He warned against any, quote, funny business. (laughs) And the note asked Schaffner just to go and sit beside him as soon as possible. Oh, Which is what she did. Hmm. So she did that in a whisper. So she sits next to him, and she kind of whispers, Asking to see the bomb. <laughs> I guess she's, she's very it. thorough. She's yeah, basically, yeah. Honestly, I, yeah. Call his bluff just to be sure. What if he didn't have anything? Yeah. So she only got a g- glance, but that was enough. Schaffner saw eight red cylinders, in two rows stacked on top of each other, and an anvil <laughs> and one of those yeah. holes that you throw into <laughs> the ground. <laughs> yes, he was not wily, coyote. She took them—the cylinders—to be dynamite. Of course. TNT, baby. Yep. She also saw these red insulated wires attaching Ooh. from the dynamite to a large cylindrical battery. Ah, That's classic. The, the power source. Yeah. yeah.
1: Got the red one.
2: And Cooper also held a triggering device, a little trigger in his hand. Uh-huh. So.
0: Isn't it true that dynamite sticks aren't really red?
2: I think <laughs> I it is, generally know. speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I, or they don't, they're not always red. Depends the manufacturer. I guess I think yeah I, I've seen dynamite that was that was kind of a grayish color but I think you know I've I, I, seen
0: dynamite in I've real life dynamite.
2: wait, would I see that it was it was kind of a gray papery color though but I think a lot of dynamite is red too to you know so you know it's dynamite yeah
1: where have you seen dynamite oh gosh he building
2: things a, that was I mean <laughs> when I was a
1: kid when he was oh the mining, he was in the child mining when he was a child miner maybe a child miner yeah That was, was a child mine right at Knott's Berry Farm Long Beach California mm-hmm. I was a child miner.
2: <laughs> So Cooper snapped the case shut, and then he calmly made his demands. He wanted $200,000 in, quote, negotiable American currency, which (laughs) just means cash.
0: How much is that today?
2: Yeah. That would be about $1.3 million today. So I feel like he was being pretty reasonable. Meat, honestly, yeah, for a ransom. Yeah. He's not not doctor. For, for, you know, 35 people plus the crew. Yeah. And an expensive plane. I mean, that's. I thinking, would have gone yeah. higher, to be honest. At well, least 500. he wanted the money in twenty-dollar bills, and that would weigh twenty-one pounds. So, two hundred thousand dollars in twenty-dollar bills would weigh twenty-one pounds. So, it, it kind of makes sense, though, because it was a doable amount in terms of the added weight for a skydiver. Yeah. yeah. But it was still sort of easily passed currency. $20 bills would get a lot less attention than the, say, $100 bills. Yeah. he He's going to have to launder them somehow and pass them in some way eventually. Right. Stacks of $100 bills will get more attention than twenties. So it was actually pretty smart. He also asked for four parachutes, but really two primary chutes and two reserve chutes. So yeah. essentially, the, the reserve shoot is basically, it's only used at the primary chute, does not deploy somehow or malfunctions, and then you can you can pull that ripcord. So effectively, he Cooper was asking for two parachute rigs. But still, he was asking for two parachutes. We'll get to that. That was brilliant. Meanwhile, after reading the note, Tina Mucklow, she called the cockpit, and she told the flight crew what was going on. Mm-hmm. We're, we're being hijacked. This is not a drill. The man said he has a bomb. What did they do?
1: I wonder if they even had like a protocol in place for that, or yeah, if the pilots got yeah, that message and this,
2: just shat. There had been hijackings before, yeah, but they were of a different ilk. Uh, she, she, what ilk were they? They were more political. They were dissidents oh. and and um, rebels and things like that. It, it was that that take sense. us somewhere, not take us to Cuba. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But Ooh. take us to Cuba was already kind of a meme.
0: You want to hear my take it to Cuba story? Yeah. Do you remember Alan Funt? I do. Jack, do you know who Alan Funt is? No, but is? that's an amazing <laughs> last
2: that is a, name. That's a dangerous last <laughs> it's name. The, but That's why it's <laughs> yeah. so great. It's, a, it's like a doubly dangerous last name, but that's a cool name.
0: Well, some of you kids might <laughs> be familiar with Candid Camera. Yes, was, yeah. Was a TV show. Okay, yes. In the 50s, right? Yeah, started,
2: uh, 60s. It, it was on
1: forever.
0: Actually, literally started as a radio show, you believe really? that. How Good does Lord.
1: Candid Camera start as a radio show? Yeah, how does Candid Camera start funny. as a radio show? Okay. They anyway. like,
0: showed up at people's houses, and it was all audio, and... Yeah. Yeah. yeah but oh, any, it, it' got a reaction, audio. yeah yeah so, so it's anyway, like okay but so anyway, Helen Funt was the creator and star of candy Camera, yeah. and he was taking i I think this was mid sixties like sixty six he was taking his wife and two small children, like babies, to Miami, probably from New York, I'm guessing is where they were based, and there was a hijacking and the the hijacker. Held a knife to the throat of one of the stewardesses, and you know, dragged her up to the cockpit to tell the captain, "Take us to Cuba." You know, the and classic. Yeah, he said It was, he, it was really yeah. kind of a thing. It, he it had a partner on board, so the the one of the stewardess or whatever went was started walking through the cabin, saying, "Does anybody speak Spanish?" Because I guess the hijacker mainly spoke Spanish, and they were having a hard time communicating with them, and. So I guess they got somebody to speak Spanish, but then somebody in the cabin saw Alan Funt and immediately said, oh my gosh, it's you. This isn't real. This isn't funny. Are you doing this for your show? And so they got everybody on the plane convinced that it wasn't a real hijacking
2: it was a and, episode of Can-A-Can?
0: Yep. And Alan Funt was trying to tell him, No, it's not me. You know, <laughs> you no, this that? is not for the show.
2: Swear to God, I'm not doing a show. Do what he says.
0: So he decided that he was gonna Alan Funt. Try to fix it. He was gonna he was like hatching a plan to get at the hijackers or whatever, and his wife was Having a fit, like, no, you don't. I've got two babies yeah. on this plane. The and is Chuck
2: Barrow Yeah,
1: are you just doing a weird bit right now? No, this is, really is. this is really yeah. true. No, yeah. I meant, I thought you said, Can you? I thought you said that you had a take it to Cuba story uh, of your own life, story, oh. not her own life. No, no. yeah, no, she's <laughs> well, literally she's just doing a weird bit right now. Yeah, I've never a been weird, a hijacker in yeah. an episode,
0: but so that's the that's the hijackers that said, Take us to, take Cuba. Us to Cuba. Yeah, I don't remember. Oh, they went to Cuba. They literally did yeah. go to, yeah. And when they landed in Havana, the military was there, and, wow, you know, yeah. yeah, the plane was surrounded. Interesting. Very Good story.
2: interesting. Thank well, sidebar. Thank you for Elephant. that sidebar camera. She Rest in pieces. <laughs> um, <laughs> next. So uh, back to Tina Mucklow. She's she telling the flight crew what's going on, and she also apparently alerted the senior flight attendant, Helen something, Alice, no, Alice Hancock, was sitting up front you know she was the senior she got a, a real seat and because a passenger would later say quote i saw one stewardess one of the stewardesses answer a call and her face dropped she looked bewildered and gulped i guess she learned what was happening then so mucklow went to Schaffner, who was again sitting next to cooper and Schaffner was just finishing writing out his demands to take them to the pilot when Schaffner rose to do that and walked down the aisle, Mucklow took her place next to Cooper and sat down next to him. Uh-huh. She asked him if he wanted her to stay with him, and Cooper said, you should. Tina Mucklow, from that point forward, became the, really the primary liaison between D.B. Cooper and the outside world. She mm-hmm. was sitting next to him the whole time and often conveying his wants and needs. Which is oh. weird, because he's right there.
1: Tell me yourself, Dan. Dan. What do you mean? Why did he need her
2: <laughs> to yeah. like, to the pilots, basically? Uh, yeah, c- yeah, exactly. Communicate with the pilots and also oh, okay. go back to the intercom. They had an intercom back by their jump seat. She'd like, go Bitch. to that and communicate sometimes. Yeah. Quote This is from uh, from Tina Mucklow I was there for the hijacker to kind of keep him feeling safe, reassured, comfortable, and not detonating that bomb. Oh. She did a hell of a job.
0: Yeah, he's not going to detonate the bomb because then he's going to kill himself.
2: Uh, he, you have to be willing to do that to, if you're going to get the money, though, right? You never know. He could be. He could be a, a, a psychotic. Be, yeah. Yeah. So you never know. She did a really good job. It's a tough job though, because Cooper showed her what was inside the briefcase, like he had Florence Schaffner, and she said she almost got sick. "Quote: I can remember looking at the back at the seat pocket in front of me and seeing that barf bag. But instead of vomiting, she prayed. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Pray the barf away.
2: Whatever you need to do, Miss. <laughs> when." D.B. Cooper was told that the parachutes would be coming from McCord Air Force Base, which is not too far away. He said, uh-uh, I'm having none of that. I don't want military-style chutes. He wanted civilian-style parachutes. Hmm. The critical difference, you might wonder? Yeah. yeah. In civilian chutes, the user pulls the ripcord at their discretion. In military chutes, oh. they oh. deploy at about, after about 200 feet of descent automatically. Oh, That's going to be also proved to be very, very critical. Hmm. Author- well,
0: so this is a clue about who D.B. Cooper is. And what a little he bit, knows. Yeah, yeah, what he
2: knows. And also also the search for him and the likelihood of him surviving, it, it has some impact on that, yeah. on the reasonableness of that. Authorities... Finally, they, f- they so they scrambled and had to find the, the right kind of parachutes. They f- found them from a local skydiving school, but it was closed. So Seattle police had to track down the owner, get him on the phone, and get him to get down there and sell them a couple of parachutes. Stat. The requre- What's this for? Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> <has to> shut <laughs> sell us them now. Here's money cash money from the, from the cops. The request actually from the FBI. The request That's for a second money. parachute a second parachute setup, up, I guess, it made some people a little nervous. Cooper, you know, he didn't say, oh, I see. Um, I'm see, i going to, we're going to land in Seattle, I'm going to demand the plane take off again, and then I'm going to jump somewhere before we get our, our to our next destination. He never said that, but it was pretty darn obvious by right. the, the ask for the parachutes, right? So the FBI thought the second parachute could very well be because he's going to take a hostage, hostage. and force to jump yeah. with him.
0: Which Tina Mucklow ought to be real she nervous. She should be about very that. nervous.
2: The flight crew actually was nervous. One of the co pilots, there's a, a HBO special on around now called The Mystery of D.V. Cooper. And they quote one of the pilots is saying, You know, we got really nervous. We thought it was going to be one of us. Yeah. One of the pilot co pilots. Yeah. yeah. The genius of the second parachute now becomes clear when you think about what the authorities could have done to just one parachute had he only asked for one parachute. right? Yeah. Now. yeah. They could have given Cooper a dummy suit shoot, or if they thought, okay, maybe he knows his way around a parachute, they could just sabotage, they could have cut a couple of those cords and sabotage it in such a way that it would be impossible for him to spread it out and check, yet would be kill very him? effective. So he might get his money, but he would only live to enjoy it for about the time it took him to hit yeah. the it ground.
1: It's the police, are you surprised that they would willing to kill
2: someone? There's no question that was his intent.
0: That's why he wanted to?
2: Yeah. The second shoot was almost certainly intended to do exactly what it did: indicate to the authorities nice. that he would be taken hostage. Right. So the FBI okay. could not know who would get the sabotage shoot if they messed with just one. Yeah. Cooper must have reasoned so, and he also reasoned they would not risk killing a hostage. Yeah. He's playing 40 chess. He is. He's that seven is seven pretty steps steps smart. Very smart. Yeah. This plan, it seems, that it had not been hatched on a whim. He had given this some serious thought for yeah. a while. Yeah. I, I that wonder. Was, if- Oh, well, Go this
1: ahead. might be like a little bit
2: too lofty. I wonder if he did it alone. What do you mean? Oh, You know what? The plan. We'll get into that in the last yeah, part of this say. when we talk about suspects, because there's one suspect who it literally did exactly that. He sort of gamed hijacking with a person that he yeah. knew, with a, a, a coworker in a sense. We'll get to that in, in, in a while, not, not in this episode <laughs> yeah. for sure. But that was not all that Cooper did. That was pretty smart. He also demanded a fuel truck be already at the the Seattle airport to meet the plane when it landed. The plane would be immediately refueled, and Cooper would get his money right away as quickly as possible. And he said, further directions will follow when I'm on the ground and I have my money. And the plane is fueled up. Wow. So Cooper, what he was doing here was constricting the time for the FBI and law enforcement to prepare any kind of countermeasures. I mean, they can still have people there, but the, the the quicker you make this happen and you're back up in the air, the better for him. yeah the the is much less time to figure out what their plan should be for the authorities. yep. And that's not all that Cooper was doing this on a seven twenty seven was also very well thought out. the seven twenty seven was the only commercial jet someone could parachute from because the rear. That rear exit stairway we talked about, the one he'd oh, come, come yes, up on, yes. that aft exit is behind and under the engine. So someone could jump out of there and not get sucked into the engine like they would in oh. pretty much any other plane. Because you can open the door and then lower the stair- stairway, and it's at the very back of the plane. It's weird. Huh? That is weird. Uh, yeah, it is. It's unusual. So that was pretty genius. He, I mean, he thought of everything, everything important anyway. Yeah. Not that there's this one thing you'll see in a minute he, he, he didn't think of.
0: I think he worked for Boeing. We'll get to that.
2: Or a little bit of some, some. Yeah. Schaffner would say that Cooper was calm and polite, and he just wanted his money the whole time. He, it, At this time, what was usually called air piracy was associated almost entirely with, as I said, political dissidents yep. and what we now call terrorists. So there had been politically motivated skyjackings across the world since about 1960. In fact, in the United States, at least, there had been several cubans wanted to go back to cuba but were not unable to because the u.s right. had a travel ban you couldn't go to cuba legally so they had multiple times where people the stereotypical you know bearded rebel who said take this plane to cuba or sometimes take this bus to cuba
0: take this bus to cuba
2: <laughs> weren't there other
0: countries at the time where you could travel to cuba from there were. Couldn't they have gone yeah. to Venezuela?
2: To Cuba from there? They'd rather hijack a plane. I think it was also a political <laughs> okay. statement too, as well. There was another yeah. like, like one early sky. One of the earliest skyjackings was something to do with, with the Brazilian Revolution. A rebel Ooh. getting, you know, taking the plane and demanding to go to Brazil for something like that to, to be part of a revolution, something like that. So it wasn't associated with people just saying, "Hey, give me money." I will blow up this plane. Yeah. They, they, they called it air piracy and it just that was not what people did with that act. So this was nothing like that. Cooper was after one thing. He was after money. I don't think this is the first hijacking to, to have something to do with material gain, but it was just incredibly rare. And it was very bold. And it was really well thought out. This is kind of a new twist that might seem obvious now, but it was novel at the time. Yeah. So, what are they doing down in Seattle, where this plane is headed for? And, and quickly, Schaffner goes into the cockpit, and she conveys the hijackers' demands to the flight crew. As I said, they immediately called Seattle. They called for help. The pilot was named William Scott. He was an experienced 51-year-old at the time. He radioed the traffic, air traffic control at SeaTac Airport in Tacoma, which is a little south of Seattle. That's the main airport for the metro area. Yeah. He told them what's happening. He asked them to alert the local law enforcement, but he also asked them to alert the FBI. He knew the FBI would be in on any kind of a, of a hijacking. The president of Northwest Orient, Donald Nyrop, was also told, and he immediately authorized the payment of the ransom and set about getting the cash. He didn't. Wow. Uh, he didn't. Wait. Yep, give it to him. Yeah. Whatever he wants. The FBI, though, needed... Time. They wanted as much time as they can get. Again, Cooper's plan was to constrict time. The FBI wanted to work against that, so yeah. they had air traffic control tell Captain Scott to go into a circling pattern and await further instructions. Which, in hindsight, a little bit risky. dangerous. A little bit. It is a little yeah. risky with Those people. And it's not airplane. like
0: he wouldn't know, right?
2: He, he, he if he's this knew. knowledgeable, yeah. No, yeah. He, he realized what was happening. He's like, "Bitch, land! I'm gonna blow y'all up." But it's also the passengers to worry about. Remember, was a half-hour flight, and he's yeah. not sure. So Scott gets on the intercom, and he tells the passengers that, hey, we have a minor mechanical problem, <laughs> which you never want to hear. But he says, it's not a big deal. It's not dangerous, but we'll need to burn fuel before we land. Nothing to worry about, but we're going to be in a holding pattern for a bit. Now, it's not... I, I'm not sure exactly what DB Cooper thought of this. I don't think he believed that story. Yeah. Right. He knew what was going on? He knew they would need some time to get his money, get the fuel, fuel truck shouldn't make, take much time. Get the parachutes, get everything together, and get there. He understood that, but this little bit of time turning it to be almost two hours. Jesus. Oh wow! Okay, at that point, I'm surprised he he, didn't he, do he did get very antsy at some yeah. point. Yes. So while the FBI and the Seattle Police Department are scrambling to get money, parachutes, fuel, and get their people in place. Captain Scott holds the plane spinning around in a circle over Puget Sound with a bomb on board, as you know. It starts to rain, lightning flashes around uh, the airplane. So
1: how much fuel like yeah. they yeah. have
2: I know. They they so they're in the air for like over two and a half hours. Yeah. They have enough fuel. It's, yeah, it's not a fuel reason that they finally land
1: i figured that but i guess that's true
2: yeah they always planes carry a lot probably nowadays they carry less fuel than they did also it was the uh, was the last i can't remember it was a uh, lot that plane had been had started out like in minneapolis that morning and gone to you know from a to b to c or something like that so it had probably been refueled i don't know and i think it had another flight even after this so still that's a long time yeah it is the pilots, by the way, tried to keep that holding pattern over the ocean, over Puget Sound, as much as possible, just in case the bomb went off. They wanted the debris to hit water, not yeah. people.
0: Well, that was considerate that of That was
2: very <laughs> nice. Yes, you're right. Terrifying, but considerate. Yeah. Horrific. So, flight attendant Tina Mucklow, she sat with Cooper throughout this entire Ugh. agonizing two hours in the air, waiting for the word to come that they could descend. She even lit his cigarettes. Mm. Because it was 1971, <laughs> and you could ludicrously smoke in a freaking airplane. Yeah. Oh, my God. But also because he had his finger on that jerking device, and he said, I don't want to take, I don't want to put that down. Yeah. Now, I don't think, it wasn't like a um, thing where it was a, if he, you know, if you took it off, it exploded. It wasn't that kind of a thing, which, but he just yeah. didn't want to chance it. So yeah. he said, you know, light my cigarette, and she was happy to. So still, that would have been fun. Give me imagine I don't know, her hand is shaking oh, yeah. trying to light his Raleigh's? So Mucklow, Tina Mucklow, the flight attendant, said Cooper was getting increasingly impatient at the delay, as we guessed. But still, he was always polite. He never even raised his voice at her. Hmm? He wow. wasn't nervous, she later told investigators. Quote, he seemed rather nice. He was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. End quote. In fact, Cooper asked for a second bourbon and soda. That seems like it'd be a little mm-hmm. nerve-wracking. You don't want this guy to get sloppy drunk, but still, he can handle his liquor. She got him a second bourbon and soda, and he gave her the money and cash for both the drinks And he told her keep the change, but she refused. She declined. Mm. He even (laughs) mentioned they should request meals for the crew during the layover in Seattle when they waited for the fueling and stuff like that. He said, you know, the um, the crew might be hungry because we're gonna. I mean, he didn't say this, but obviously they were gonna fly again. So he said maybe they should have some food ready for him. He's he's a good guy. He's looking out for him. He is. He's a conscientious guy. Yeah. He he thinks about others. A nice guy, pirate. (laughs) Yeah. DB Cooper. Kind sky pirate. Cooper also seemed to know the train very well. He said, um, like, for instance, they're flying over Tacoma. He said, hey, it looks like Tacoma down there. And indeed, they were flying over hmm. Tacoma at the time. He also mentioned that McCord Air Force Base was only about 20 minutes' drive from the airport. That was true. He knows. He's, he knows this area. He knows what he's doing here. Or has he done his research very, very well? Or both. True. He, he appeared completely in control. He knew what he, knew what he was doing does. the entire time. So on the ground, the FBI has taken charge. They secured 10,000 unmarked $20 bills from several banks in the Good satellite Lord. area. Because they, he ordered it to, to, for the serial numbers to not be sequential. So they went to a, a, multiple banks and hmm. got 10,000 of these $20 bills. They photographed every single bill on microfilm.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's what they needed the time for. That's, that's Damn. That's a big part of it. yeah. Wow.
2: Most of the bills were from 1963 and 1969 series. And they had serial numbers. They weren't consecutive, but they all started with the serial number L. And they were all from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. So again, Cooper, he, he said, don't give me sequential bills, implying he had checked. But yeah. the L code and the microfilm record would later prove to come in handy. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: pretty smart. Yeah.
2: Wow. And, and quick, quick work, too. Yeah. Finally, in 1971... I mean, they could do that on Get Smart, but I didn't know they could do that in real life. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Finally, at 524 in the evening, word is sent up to the plane and then relayed to Cooper that he would get everything he demanded. And they also, by the way, they're going to land soon. So it's 50 minutes later. The plane landed at SeaTac. Cooper then ordered Scott, the pilot, to taxi the plane over to an isolated part of the airport. And This, this part of the airport was brightly lit. So it appears he also, I mean, I, I'm imagining he didn't just see that part and say, hey, go over there. He knew what part of the airport would be lit yeah. because dusk had come around 5 p.m. that night. So the light was fading, right? And he made the crew close all of the window shades and then dim the inside lights, apparently to avoid being snipered. Oh. oh. So go way out there. Yeah. and, and. Dim everything, close everything, every, all the shades, and I won't get shot in the head because yeah. you're going to have a sniper, which they, I don't know. I didn't read it, but I, I assume they probably yeah, did. probably. Yeah. Ali worked for Northwest Orient in Seattle. He was like the manager of their Seattle operations. He, for some reason, he wore a uniform. I don't know why. So he changed the, out, out of his airline uni- uniform into civilian clothes because he didn't want to be mistaken for a policeman because he's the guy who walked the money and stuff up to the plane from the ground. They drove yeah. it out there. Yeah. And he walked it right to the, uh, to the rear of the plane, where Tina Mucklow, they lowered the stairs, and Tina Mucklow came down, grabbed the bag of money, grabbed the various parachutes, and she took several trips going up and down those aft stairways to ferry all of the stuff into the plane. Ali, after handing the stuff, he took off, he, he left. The money, by the way, here's where I think there was one lack of foresight. The money was put in a big canvas knapsack. It's kind of like a a duffel bag, but it has no handles. And it was open at the top with no no zippers.
1: Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: given his plan, which we know was the parachute, you would think he would have been more specific about what to put the money in. And that when he was shown this open at the top knapsack, he would have said, nah. That's not good enough. Go get something much more secure.
0: Also... While they're hand handing the stuff to Tina, mm-hmm. they could have just handed her a gun.
2: Yeah, no, <laughs> you're never going to do that. Do hey, twenty really? one year old <laughs> flight attendant, take this gun. Go and put a bullet in that guy's head. You will be a hero. Hopefully, you have one shot. Hopefully, if you miss, he blows everybody up. Carrie. That's a great plan. by she, the way. You're not have, a cop. Argue. She could
0: have slipped it to Thank somebody, God. and they take <laughs> it to the cockpit. Who? Bitch,
2: who else Harry, on there? Who's of Bruce who qualified? Willis was not on that plane, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> Liam Neeson is not no, on this no. flight, my if, friend. If, if, if some Liam Neesons and some Bruce Willis aren't on that plane, I don't see what mm-hmm. you do. They did. The, they did what they should have done.
1: Keanu Reeves. You there, know maybe. what
0: they could have done? What? When they open the stairs, somebody—oh yeah—he has a bomb. I forgot about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was God. gonna say an Thank actual God you're not miffed, An yeah. actual SWAT team guy could have come up and just shot him right in the head.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, or, and get blown up. Yeah. Go, go, go! Boom. Yeah, that <laughs> no. would none of that would have worked. Terrible idea. The sniper thing, maybe. Everything else. But he thought of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. prevent it.
2: He did. So we're gonna nix the Carrie action adventure <laughs> movie plot here. Yeah, and don't put say it in the
1: hands of the 21-year-old
2: no, <laughs> flat No 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 no. Uh, but no but anyway, he didn't ask for a different he just he accepted it. And and he again he, he didn't think of putting in this lightweight nylon zipper bag that I can that has like handles with. I asked for a backpack or something yeah. like that. Well, no, I guess you I guess you can do a front pack.
1: I right? don't
2: want you on your back as you parachute. Yeah. But still, something that was more securable, but he didn't pass for it. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. made do. I'm
0: not sure a front pack is a thing. A fanny pack. just
2: A, put a giant fanny the pack is what he could yeah. Have used. Yeah. So he checks on the cache. He checks the parachutes, at least briefly anyway, and he's satisfied. It is only now, by the way, at this point, that some of the passengers near the back of the airplane around where Cooper is... Catch a glimpse of this transaction. They, they have the, they kind of look back and they see this bag of money being handed to this nondescript guy in dark sunglasses in the back of the plane. And a couple people think, well, you know, kind of what the hell's going on here? Because they had absolutely no idea that they were being hijacked. Yeah. They never did. No one, no passenger did. But they have little time to think. So the captain comes on the intercom and he tells every passenger, says, you can get off the plane now. Deep plane. Oof. Skedaddle. A big yellow school bus has arrived out to that isolated part of the tarmac and is going to ferry them to the terminal. So the passengers, all 35, start immediately filing out. They board the bus, and then they start to talk. And it's only then, one passenger on that Mystery of D.B. Cooper documentary, they talk to one of the passengers, and he says, this guy leaned over to me on the bus and said, you know what? I think we were just hijacked. <laughs> and he says, yeah, you know what? I think we were. Yeah, I love how they wow. didn't know. It's know. only on this trip back, as, as as the the word gets out. So the couple, the few people back there by the part, plane who saw the money and saw yeah. the transaction and realized what was happening, tell some other people, and that filters through the bus. Yeah. Only then did the passengers generally understand they were hijacked. Huh? They had no idea.
0: That was good. They did a good job of keeping it quiet. Yeah. Could you imagine the panic? Yeah. Some people would
2: lose it. That's very true. Bet I would not. I would probably, you know, manufacture a quick gun, go back there, and sh- like, well, I'm sorry, that's, that's you carry. Carrie would actually <laughs> do something. She got a straw. She'd file it down. She'd MacGyver his ass. That's what she. Yeah. Do. I-, I would you know. You'd be a hero, Carrie. Mm-hmm.
0: They have utensils. They yeah, probably so have very a sharp. Spork. A spork, and Carrie. Stuff.
2: You could spork his throat before he knew what hit him. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep, yep,
1: yep. I, I mean that airplane fun. food. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> it could gonna- kill him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How did it not? Bad bourbon. So back on board the 727, Cooper has retained the three men in the cockpit and flight attendant Tina Mucklow. Mm. He allowed all the passengers to leave and senior flight attendant Alice Hancock and Floor. Florence Schaffner. Everybody's allowed to leave except pilot, co-pilot, engineer, and Tina Mucklow. Wow. The 21-year-old uh, flight attendant. He's taking a shine. They had a rapport. Uh, so God. as the ground crew get ready to pump jet fuel into the plane, Cooper speaks to the flight crew. He speaks to pilot, again, pilot William Scott, co-pilot William Ratazak, and the flight engineer is named Harold Anderson. He tells them that when they take off again from Seattle, they're to follow a kind of southeasterly course, south kind of south-southeast. He wants to go eventually to Mexico City. He wants the plane to go as slowly as humanly possible. He tells them about 100 knots which is about 150 miles per hour. So he tells him how fast the plane is supposed to go, and he apparently he knows that it can stay in the air at that speed. Any slower, the plane would stall out, but we'll see in a minute of why we can, you can guess of why the plane wants to, he wants the plane to go so slow. He also says that they are to ascend no higher than 10,000 feet, 3,000 meters, again, for <laughs> fairly <laughs> obvious reasons. What? For international listeners. No, I know, but why did you say it like a robot? Yeah, 3,000 meters. meters. So I do it. So they know, the landing gear, he said, must remain down the entire time. What? And he said, keep the wing flaps at to be lowered no more than fifteen degrees.
1: Hmm.
2: No idea what that does, but that's what that's yeah. his orders. He says, keep the cabin unpressurized. This last yeah. demand means now that's brilliant because it means that when it, if they he, wa- he originally wants them to, to take off with the exit door open you'll see in a minute what that didn't happen, but even then opening the exit door would not just suck everything out. Cause it's yeah. not pressurized. It's the same pressure yeah. as the outside and 10,000 feet sense. is easily breathable. Right. So there wouldn't be that, you know, that sucking uh, phenomenon. Uh, yeah. If, if, a, if a, as a plane quickly depressurizes cause it was not pressurized. So none of the crew challenged any of Cooper's demands. They did however, tell him that their airplane could not travel any further than about a thousand miles, maybe a little more 1600 kilometers. So, uh, given his, and that was because of his demands. It really limited the the radius because the slow speed, the position of the flaps, and the landing gear being yeah. down meant they could go maybe a thousand miles. So that makes sense. he said we're gonna, we have to refuel before we get to Mexico City. In fact, I would think they'd refuel a couple of times before they, they get to Mexico. Cooper very rationally discusses the possibilities with the crew of what the, how they should do that, and they together decide, okay, we'll make a pit stop in Reno, Nevada. Wow. The, and they'll refuel there. The route was also apparently open to negotiation. The exact route was he, he negotiated with Captain Scott. Captain Scott and Cooper uh, finally agreed on a route called Vector 23.: Ooh, that's fun. It's, it's a straight line. And well, it's, it's uh, a, route, a it It's a route that worked south down from Seattle, but it did it a little bit inland mm. and to the east of the coastal range. So it wouldn't be as mountainous below. I see what you mean. A little bit flatter ground. Also, importantly, at ten thousand feet, on this route, there wouldn't be any high peaks that could, you know, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Still pretty, you know, fairly rugged territory. Much of it was very wooded and hilly, but again, it wasn't as rugged as if they had flown over the coastal range, or if they had flown even more inland. So Cooper has one last demand, and again, it shows how weirdly reasonable he could be. He wants the plane to take off with the rear exit door open and the stairs extended down, right? Earlier, he had had Tina Mucklow read him the instruction card that detailed the operation of that rear exit stair door. She said she didn't think the door could be open with stairs lowered during flight. Cooper yeah. said, no, oh, they can. Yeah. I know they can. Ooh. So again, it seems Cooper had done his homework. Yeah. Our, our, he had intimate knowledge of a 727
0: yeah. and how it worked. Yeah, and you know. He can't Google that stuff in
1: 1971. No, and was he right? Uh, were they able to fly the plane with all that stuff
2: down? Oh, we'll see. Oh. Well, because at this point, Northwest Orient, they finally kind of, the officials there finally kind of show a little bit of spine and they said, no, we're not going to authorize you taking off with the stairs down. And the exit door opened and the stairs down. They said, no, that's too dangerous. Cooper said, I don't think it is. I think we can do it just fine. But you know what? Fine. Hmm. Let the babies have their bottle. I'll just oh. open the, the exit door <laughs> when we're in flight.
0: Did he say that? Let the babies Probably. have their
2: bottle? I'm assuming he did. He also, when, he's, when they're, they're waiting, this FAA official, who I, th- I guess was going to play the, the negotiating hero, thought he was some kind of Samuel L. Jackson, perhaps. He got on the plane and demanded to see, to talk face-to-face to D.B. Cooper And I think he thought he was going to convince him to knock it off. You know, just (laughs) breaking the law. I don't know what his his plan was. (laughs) You're being a real inconvenience for all of us. (laughs) Cooper just said, nope, let's get this show on the road, and he refused to talk to him. Yeah. told him to get off the plane. (laughs) Smart. Mm -hmm. Cooper also seems to have known about how long it would take to refuel the 727 once the uh, fuel truck got there and started transferring the fuel. He knew that should take about 15 minutes. But when this dragged on for much longer than that, he started getting antsy and he started getting angry and he wanted to know why. So Captain Scott radioed the control tower and said, quote, I hope that truck, meaning the gas truck, is full. He's getting awfully antsy. He wants the stewardess sitting back there with him on the, on the takeoff. It seems what happened is the air traffic control explained to uh, Captain Scott that there, was, there had been a vapor lock. And the fuel flow had stopped, not intentionally.
0: Oh. It had
2: actually really happened. So they had to rush another tr- fuel truck out from somewhere else in the airport and then finally top off the tanks. Yeah. So, Which, you
0: know, that stuff happens. It's going to happen. Yeah.
2: And, hey, DB got a little pissy, but yep. he handled it well. So it was not until about 7.40 p.m., or maybe a little bit later, depends on the source, that the 7.27 finally lifted off from SeaTac. It Climbs to 10,000 feet, and again, heading this kind of south-southeast direction over the state of Washington. It's pitch black by now, it's raining lightly, and the, the plane heads into you know, a very lonely stretch. It's forested and hilly, it's some parts mountainous terrain there, immediately south of, of where they are. Unknown to Cooper, McCord Air Force Base has scrambled two F-106 fighter planes, to trail the 727 at what they hope is an unnoticed distance. <laughs> I mean, I don't sure. know how you're
1: just looking out the window and just seeing <laughs> planes trail you anyway, but...
2: Uh, one Correct. was above the plane and one was below. So these, these fighter, uh, jets, yeah. uh, fighter jets trail the plane. No, I, don't, I, don't, I think they were behind. They were just well, trying to keep yes. an eye on it. This tactic, though, was pointless. The fighter jets cannot go slow enough to consistently main, main, uh. maintain contact with the 727. They, it's oh. just yeah. 100 miles an hour is just too slow. Yeah. For a fighter jet. Uh, yeah, yeah, or 100, 100, knots, sorry, 100 knots. So yeah, these are fighter jets that can go a Epic. lot faster. Yeah. So they, they were able to, 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 you know, get fly, I guess, fly ahead and come back, but they couldn't, they didn't always have eyes on it consistently. So a third plane, a Lockheed T-33 trainer was already in the air for a completely unrelated mission. I think it was with the Washington State National Guard. It, it's also sent to trace the Boeing, the Flight 305. The T thirty three, however, doesn't find the seven twenty seven until Oops. it's near the California Oregon border, which is well after, as we'll find out in a second, DB Cooper jumped. So, oh. and even then, after it spot, finally spots the the um, the plane is supposed to be trailing, it has no fuel and has to break off and go back and land.
0: Jeez. Uh, so wait, did the people in the plane they knew when DB Cooper jumped off?
2: Well, you'll see. Oh, okay. So all this time, Mucklow is in the 727 cabin alone with Cooper. So it's a a three-flight crew, open the front, cabin door, cockpit locked. Only Mucklow is back there with D.B. Cooper. At about 8 p.m., maybe a little bit before 8 p.m., Cooper gathered his money, his parachute, and his rear seat. He'd been kind of checking them already. And he gets them together, though, there. He has Tina Mucklow help him open the aft door, the exit. There's a, of course, it's a gust of wind and noise rushes into the cabin, but the stairs are still upright, and I, you know they're in the doorway there. Yeah. But still, it's I mean, again they're low enough where they can easily breathe, and of course, the, again the plane was depressurized, so they aren't sucked out. And although she's still worried, Tina Mukherjee said later she was still worried that she, you know, it, when he did lower the stairs it was possible he could fall out or or be forced out. And she she apparently worried about that. I'm not sure exactly, but Mm. literally that worried about, okay. A little bit of Stockholm there, (laughs) Miss (laughs) Tina. A little bit, maybe. Honestly, me too. He sounds
1: like a nice man.
2: (laughs) Muckle again explains to him exactly how he is to lower the stairway. So it doesn't appear... He has knowledge, but it, I, I, it doesn't seem like he had actually lowered a stairway before. Literally, right. personally, he knew how it was supposed to work, but he had her explain the card to him, and he had her, again, remind him, here's what you do to lower the stairway, because she yeah. it every day. So finally, Cooper tells Mucklow to go up with the crew, the flight crew, and he locks her in there. He closes the door behind her, and he tells them, you do not leave that cockpit until you touch down in Reno.
0: Oh. So
2: that are, you know, you know, boom, boom. So they do not leave the cockpit. They know better oh. too. So she's up there with them, door closed. He's back there now in the entire fuselage by himself. And he she as she walks away, she sees he's kind of, you know, preparing the chutes. And she asks him, she turns around and asks him to please take the bomb with him when he oh. jumps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't answer her. She's not sure if he heard right. it or not, but he doesn't answer. As she leaves, though, she notices that Cooper is tying something around his waist. Oh. She assumes it's the knapsack, the money, but she just kind of gets a little glance yeah. behind. And she yeah. assumes he's, So he's tying the money around his waist in that large, open yeah. knapsack. He must have tied it off.
1: Yeah. Or well, I'm kind of imagining, oh, no, I see. Now I'm imagining the right thing. I was kind of imagining a knapsack kind of with like a drawstring thing at the top but no probably no. not
2: Not I mean, it's just open at the top
1: yes now I think but I'm imagining it's, the it's correct
2: deep. thing it's deeper than it is why it's not like it's square yeah. it's, it's like think of like a duffel bag but it's got an open top yeah. I feel like I've no seen these things in like They're movies bank bags. and TV They're essentially it's a bank bag money bag so the yeah, bank okay. I don't think there the bank it is. did it I don't know I never really think that the FBI did it intentionally to, suck, to screw with them. it's yeah. just the, they put the money in what they'd normally put a bunch of money in so Mucklow did she joins the crew up in the cockpit with the door closed, and they sit in nervous silence <sighs> as the plane cuts through the night. A warning light flashes on the pilot's panel just after 8 p.m. This tells them the exit door, the, the air stairs, had been opened. They were put down at this point, so now it's, it's wide open. Again, it, the wind would be gusting, but he's, it's depressurized, so he's not sucked out. Yeah, But it's still howling noise and wind. Despite that, Cooper gets on the intercom, and he tells the crew... He's having trouble getting the stairs to go all the way down. So Scott, Captain Scott, the pilot, says, let me slow down a little bit more and then try it. Yeah. He does that. Co-pilot Radizak asks Cooper on the intercom if he should come back there and help him. Cooper says, nope, stay up there. Yeah. So apparently he got the the stairs down. This is the last word that ever to come from the person we know as D.B. Cooper. For mm. as far as we know, forever, we've probably heard and or A lot of people have, or yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. We'll see. So at, at about eight twenty-two PM, 813 or eight thirteen or eight twenty-four, depending on the source, which pisses me off. Hmm. The crew. I, I've literally read all three of those times. Yeah. Which is how? super annoying. I don't know how the that kind hell of shit has always. And I look back, and I found some old New York Times articles in the archive there, and I didn't see an exact time there. But the, the source I trust the most at eight twenty-two. So eight twenty-two. The crew feels a sudden updraft, and it, and it tilted the plane kind of violently. The ah. tail of the plane upward. Oh, so they feel the tail jump up, right?
0: Ooh, that's not the way I want the tail to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: no, it's not. I'd rather
1: oh. the tail remain pretty stationary.
0: Very
2: to be honest. The tail very goes
0: very up, the nose goes
2: down. Yes, it did. That is, it did. But the pilot corrected very quickly, <laughs> and he got the plane level. And Scott, Captain Scott, notes the time and the location. He says it's eight twenty-two, presumably. And they're that roughly 25 miles north of Portland, which is not too far from the Lewis River.
0: They didn't get very far. Yeah.
2: No. If they're leaving They, they basically Seattle. crossed Washington north to south. Yeah. So it's not nothing. It's a good size state. Yeah,
1: but they're on their way to Mexico. Yeah, so well, they're they, on the way to Reno right now.
2: That's true. Yeah. yeah. So, but
1: still, they didn't yeah. get far through their and journey. And Reno
2: is going to be to the southeast still, by the way. Yes. Yeah. That was a big bump, Zach says. He's the co-pilot. He says, I think we just lost our passenger. Uh, yeah. yeah. They all nod. Oh, they, they know I what's see. going on. So that they, that was him. They think the that was him jumping. They think. So as I mean, far as we else? know, that's about the area. Well, we'll learn later again, the exact area is actually maybe not as precise as Uh-oh. the pilot, Captain Scott, thought it was. Or he certainly can't be as sure. And later, actually, he would come to think. I was a little bit off. I was wrong about where exactly that I, we, the plane was. Is you know, there's wind. There's things like that. This is not, you know, planes aren't exactly precisely where they think they're going to be. They, yeah. just is 1971. Right. Yeah. It's even less exact than it is now. So, but still, so they're pretty sure he's not back there anymore. But they don't risk it and go back. They stay in that cockpit. They go all the way to Reno. There's just no reason to risk it. So, two hours later, around a quarter after 10 p.m., the plane finally touches down Reno. The landing crew there has, I guess, they see it come touch down or are, are approaching the runway with the aft stairway hmm. and the stairs all fully deployed. So, he, he got them open. Yeah. Despite this, the plane lands quite safely. So he yeah. was right. At least, well, he, he thought it could take off safely as well. I, it probably could. I'll, I'll trust DB. Over... I mean, <laughs> if it can land safely, I feel like landing is I, more yeah.
1: dangerous than taking off. I don't know. To me, in my head, in my no <laughs> pilot yeah, having yeah. those are head. By far, those are the two most dangerous yes, times to be 100%. on an airplane. By,
2: yeah. by, by a lot. I actually, I'm actually a little more nervous on uh, takeoffs than landings. Really? Yeah.
1: I just Depending on me.
2: some landings, it depends on where you're landing. That's
1: because I, I always get, uh, if I'm getting sick on a plane, it'll be during the landing. Oh, really? That's probably why. Oh, probably the way around for me. Or
2: it has indeed been the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't playing sick. It was quite the opposite. It was another kind of sick. The crew, it was booze. Drunk. Yeah. <laughs> very,
1: very, very drunk. They're not alcoholics, guys, I promise. No, you weren't they're drunk. Not, they're not. You were hungover. I'm, oh,
2: I was probably both. Yeah. What? It was oh. like four in the morning. You could I be done. both.
0: Uh Side note, he was not with me. No, I wasn't. had nothing I in to do with it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that'll do it. Was it a business trip? Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. lordy. The crew cautiously peek out from the cockpit, and they indeed, as expected, find that they are alone. Yeah. The second parachute, and. The clip-on tie is all that DB Cooper has huh. left behind. The clip-on tie. You don't is want that the I can't flapping take this fashion <laughs> yeah. travesty with me. You know he he, he he just wanted to look like a normal everyday yeah. businessman. He wanted to be yeah. as to, it's just completely inconsequential, totally not noticeable. That's why so he didn't wear the sunglasses on the plane. He put them on basically when he sat down because he didn't want really to oh. draw attention to himself. I, I, that's my yeah. speculation. But so yeah. then from
0: that point on what, he didn't want people to see his exactly. beautiful blue eyes. No, because no. he knew they were going to draw sketches of him. Yeah. And,
2: and the eyes are, are a critical part. So They're the, the most the, important part, yeah. in my opinion. Huh. So I, he, again, this guy, he was doing some serious thinking, baby. Yeah, he's the, he thought of pretty much everything except he really that did. one money except bag Except for thing. Get a better money bag, bro. Yeah. He also left behind eight cigarette butts. <laughs> All of them well, filter tip Raleigh. Smoked me, you got him. Cool mountain flavor. I don't know. I don't know if they even still exist.
1: Warning: Smoking tobacco causes cancer.
2: Smoking will kill you and make you an asshole. So no one is sure quite when, but at some point the FBI lost I all eight cigarette. I was going to ask if which, they saved them. As we him. know, yeah. could now be tested for DNA. Yep. So, which no one is... has any idea what happened to them. <sighs> They're probably sitting somewhere. And there's boxes and boxes and boxes of DB Cooper. Evidence? Investigative evidence and material, but those cigarette butts have never been found. What? Wow. And no one even knows when they went missing.
1: Wow! Yeah, so not cool. Somebody thought, "Oh, hey, I can salvage those. Let me <laughs> take them." Why am I? Southern? I don't know why they hear the <laughs> accent, I don't
2: know, but sure. So the FBI, state troopers, sheriff deputies, and the Reno Police Department, led by Imagine Thomas Lemon, are all there to greet the plane. Shut up. Thomas Lennon. Yeah. Sorry, my bad my bad great actor by the way they scramble aboard guns out they don't they they never know yeah so they check every crevice of the plane think maybe he's hiding maybe it's all a ruse, huh? maybe there's a plot twist coming but say? there isn't they Peek-a-boo. check every yeah. crevice there is no hijacker there no hijackers hiding on that plane so somewhere in the rain of the dark between <laughs> Seattle and Reno DB Cooper has jumped out of a 727 at 10,000 feet and and what? Disappeared. And we will find out more on the next episode <laughs> of the D.B. Cooper case. Until dun, dun, dun. Till then, Carrie, tell us stuff.
0: Um, you know, you can find us on weirdworldpodcast at gmail.com. I mean, that's where you can write to us, not find us. You can find us. <laughs> well, tell us who D.B. Cooper is. Weird World Podcast yes. on Facebook and Instagram and Weird World Pod on Twitter. E.
2: So we're going to talk about um, the investigation. We're going to talk about the search. We're going to talk, and then we're, we're going to get to definitely get to who was DB Cooper. There's some yeah. really, really good suspects. There's some very detailed There's some ridiculous suspects, but they're fun. And I, I have, I have. We'll talk about it later on a different episode of this. But I have a, a favorite. Oh,
0: so
2: well, we'll see. okay, can't
0: Ooh. wait to hear it. All right.
1: Until okay. then, see you later, bitches. Okay. <laughs>
0: Bye.